Hey guys, welcome to the first Cartel Aristocrats of the Year. Uh, as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Gathering Magic and CoolStuffInc.com, who are very patient, but also provided us with gift certificate gift certificates to give away. With a free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a $25, 25% buy list bonus pin. This is just Jeremy's job. I'm sorry, I'm not very good at this. And their ever-popular customer rewards program, Cool Stuff Inc. is the store for all your Gathering Magic. Magic of the Gathering needs. Man, I am rusty. Uh, so we're going to start this episode without Jeremy, but he'll be here soon. He's flying back from, I don't know, somewhere. Uh, but we are here. We are back. We're first cast of the year. How's everybody doing? <laughs> and forgot that he's supposed to be first. <laughs> right. That's how this works. Uh, it's been good. It's been nice doing other things. The holidays were nice. I was in Portland. I don't really remember December. It's been a busy month. Lots of uh, interesting magic-related things and not magic-related things. So I'm sure some of these will eventually get to, but there's no shortage of things to talk about. That's what happens when we're gone for like basically two months. I've had uh, very little in the way of magic going on. Just kind of such a quiet part of the year for the most part. Uh, and plenty of other things to do. Wedding, holidays, all that crap. Just like, eh, there are magic cards in my house still, I guess. All right. So, um, you know, obviously, new year, new things. Missed a lot of stuff in December. Um, does anything you in particular want to talk about, or should we just go down the list? All right, nobody feels strongly about anything. And you don't I have don't, anything. I I don't even remember what happened in December. It just like I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm getting old. Like, this is a symptom of like old age. But I literally don't remember what happened like two weeks ago. Like that was just such. It feels like a lifetime ago to me. I don't remember being in Portland. I don't remember Christmas. I don't remember the New Year. It's just gone. Yeah, so, no, I understand. It's like I'm sure there are plenty of topics we could talk about, but I don't really, really remember any of them at this point. All right, so let's talk about the first thing. Uh, in December, we got Unstable. I think a lot of people are really happy with the new lands. I saw them a lot on uh, camera this weekend at the Star City Open. Um, Ed, is there anything that you noticed in the store about Unstable? Uh, it looks like a lot of people bought it because a lot of stores were sold out and had to wait for a second wave. But other than that, I'm not really sure. Yeah, we had, like, obviously our initial... Um, we had our original allocation. We opened up a fair amount once people realize kind of the uh, the foil basic fiasco, it's like, oh, these are actually really hard to get. Um, I was in Madrid for the very first weekend. I think Unstable literally came out, you know, the Friday when I left or whatever. Um, and there was just a massive shortage. All the vendors, they, they were selling the foil Unstable lands for far more than they uh then we even had them over here i think islands were selling at like 100 euros which is like 120 dollars for that original weekend um to even the non-foil basics themselves a lot of vendors had very very large stacks from when they opened them and by the end of the weekend there basically wasn't an unstable basic left in the room for people to actually purchase uh, beyond that, we continued to kind of open them up. Uh, they did it did very well, especially on TCG player. 
a lot of the foils were in very high demand. If you managed to spike, you know, one of the more sought after foils, like an Urzo was 60, uh, $65 for a while. A lot of the variants, like very cryptic command did very well for quite a bit. Obviously the Wayne England one is your big winner, but even some of the other variants, a lot of people seem to want them for a cube. I noticed that there were no shortage of orders where people were very specific about what they wanted. It made it, it made it pretty profitable to just straight up open the product we had for a while. And then once the initial wave came along, we more or less just opened the rest of the product we had, made sure all of it was online and available for people to order. And now Unstable is more or less in stock and it kind of feels like it's fallen off. I think part of that might be people more or less just ordered what they wanted right away. And that now that Rivals Ixlans is out, there's kind of something else for people to talk about. Um, I mean, Unstable didn't really have an impact on me in my group. Uh, you know, we might have drafted. I think my friends drafted it once. I wasn't able to get in for that. But beyond that, it fell off everyone's radar. Uh, very much a flash in the pan for most players, um, aside from the lands. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll see some of the stuff like the Urzas and the Foils kind of command this ridiculous premium. But nothing that's, I think, actionable for the most part. And those prices are generally going to be very stable. Um so the only place really I think to really care about this is in the basic lands, which are already like crazy expensive, like way more, I guess, than I probably would have expected. So yeah, those prices are pretty unstable. Oh, mute him, kick him, anything, please. Jeremy, this is what we came back you're to. quite loud. And uh, also you sound like a robot a little bit. Any better? Much better. You, you're, you were like deep throating your microphone and it didn't sound good. Uh, well, I probably shouldn't have my phone next to my mic. No, that's not an ideal place to put it. So how do you feel about Unstable? It almost makes up for the fact that Iconic Masters was such a bad set. Was Iconic Masters actually a bad set, or was it like, this is the second Master set of the year and people just really didn't want to buy it? I mean, it didn't make retailers money, which is like why I'm in this, and I wanted to make money, and I didn't make money, or at least enough money. So unstable was a good uh, pat on the back. I think the problem with maternal masters or whatever was that it was bad at what it was supposed to be. Do you want to elaborate on what that is? Yeah, go ahead. Well, it's supposed to be like a special set full of chase cards that people are really excited to own that's available in limited release. And instead it had a handful of cards that people wanted. Oh, not, not a tr- iconic masters. That's the second one, right? Icon- Iconic Masters was a bad version of what it was supposed to be because there was not that many cards people were that interested in and it was really plentiful and available at big box stores. So stores didn't make any money. Players were unenthused because it was super cheap and nothing they really wanted and it didn't seem like it worked out well for anybody. Yeah, I'd argue that like some of the cards in that set really felt like it should have been in a Modern Masters and not an Iconic Masters. Like I was almost 100% sure that they were going to reprint Demonic Tutor in that set. Like, at a Mythic, whatever, just, like, something really exciting, something really old that they don't print very often. We got Mana Drain, which I think everyone kind of expected would probably be one of the cards in there, but, like, outside of that, it didn't really have a lot of, like, iconic cards, so to speak. And, like, Mishra's Bobble was, like, fine that it was in that set, but, like, why? It's not an iconic card. It's not something people are like, oh man, did you hear about that guy with that Mishra's bobble deck? Like that's not a that's not a thing that happens. 
Well, so I don't know why bubble they, was a concession to modern, like they knew they needed to print it. So it gave them a place to put it. It just the, the whole concept of iconic masters in general was a weak premise to begin with. Right. And then I don't think that they really hit on the cards that people find iconic, like yeah. demonic tutor. Like they could have done mana crypt again if they really wanted to. Like that's a, that's a pretty iconic card. Like they could have done like soul ring. Like there's a lot of other cards that are iconic that just were not in that set. And to fill it with stuff like Mishra's Bobble, which is is good, and we needed it for a price decrease, but like that doesn't excite people to open the booster packs. Like it's for a very small subsection of players that are probably not going to open it anyway. If it was in a Modern Masters, I think people would have been paid more attention to it and would have been more excited for it. But I don't know. It's just it felt like there was just like a, a disconnect. Like halfway through, they were like. You know what? Iconic Masters is really not what it's all about. We need to just reprint these cards, which is fine if they want to do that. But like, don't call it Iconic Masters. Then that was just a bad name for it. Um, with without repeating myself too much, because Jeremy and I kind of touched on this in the after hours that we you did. You should on listen the- to that, by the way. It was really nice and dark. It was uh, great. Good beer. Anyways, without repeating myself too much, I think one of the fundamental problems with Iconic Masters was that a lot of the cards in there were more there because of scarcity and less because of actual demand. The example I brought up was uh, Vorinclex. It was previously like 28 pushing $30. And uh, like obviously, it sees a lot of play in green-based EDH decks, most green-based EDH decks will want that type of effect. But there's an upper limit to how much you're able to sell, and once you have it reprinted in a mass product, you're basically cratering the value of that card to a point where it's just never going to recover. And by so doing, if you have too many of those types of cards, which Iconic Masters basically did, you're basically making it possible for that product to be good. And I think that's one of the problems that I have with these reprint type sets. It's understandable that people want cards, that they want these these sets to be good. After all, if I'm going out and spending $10 on a booster pack, I want it to be a little bit better than feeling like I need to basically open a mandrain in my booster box or my box is going to be a complete bust, which is more or less where Iconic Masters was was headed and it headed that way very fast. That's why we saw such a huge tank in the value of the set. Once people got, once people had the initial opening, once people were able to sell off these cards that were, that were held up by scarcity rather than actual demand, the, the, the cards just tanked in value. And it, this just further, this further compounds the issue because people who are now sitting on boxes are thinking, oh my god, I need to be able, I need to open up the cards and sell them now because each passing day, the overall price on the box just keeps going down. Now, like you can go on eBay and buy boxes for one twenty-seven, like, hundred twenty-seven. Yeah, like I heard, like down through pipeline, Southern Hobby, one of the distributors we use uh, across all their locations in the U.S., they have something like ten thousand boxes available in order which is no small number and who knows how long it's going to take them to go through that, how long it's going to take the market to absorb it. And at this point, like it's, it's causing a lot of downward pressure on things like rivals of Ixlon. You can buy rivals Ixlon for very cheap. 
and now we uh, we have to put in our allocation for Masters Twenty Five, and now we there's a lot of internal debate how much do we actually want to order. Are we going to get burned on it again? Because well, they we confirmed that non WPN shops will be able to sell M25. Yep. Like it'll be a big box again, Target, Walmart, what have you. So, like, what good, like, it just feels like they set a really bad precedent for basically what feels like the first quarter of 2014. And who knows how long it's going to last for. I think the biggest thing is we're starting to see reserveless prices go crazy, not necessarily just because of, um, uh, old school people are tired of getting burned on things and they want to convert their assets into something that they know may not necessarily tank as hard or just stay stable. And that's where we're starting to see just some insane buyouts. I mean, we're seeing Juzam Jin sell for like a thousand two hundred and fifty dollars on TCG player, which is obscene. Shout out to Sigmund Ostfresser for like pointing out that data, but it's getting a little crazy. I mean, unlimited. Uh, chaos orbs are 500 bucks now. It's uh, high, high end money there, man. Jim, you were gonna say something? No, I was just shaking my head. Like, just engine, it was like a flying creature at the time, it is not good anymore. And that's there's really no reason other than the pure collector value that it should old be worth school. anything like that. There, I'm going to Houston this weekend. There's going to be a big old school event, and there's going to be a lot of juice engines there. I mean, I like I understand that that like there's a subsection of people that actually play that, but like, how many people can you invite to play this format when you have to spend four thousand dollars on four four mana five fives? Yeah, I mean, I agree. the pl- The price isn't necessarily that fly for newer players to want to buy into, but uh, there's people doing it, and they're causing the prices to go up. I'm not sure if you were trying to make a pun there, but like, if you were, you were really rusty and it wasn't good. I'm sorry, that wasn't a real ginning pun. What? That doesn't even make any sense. So I, I think one of the issues with old school, I you could look at it as an issue, it might be one of the strengths, is that I think nostalgia has a very tangible effect on it. It's the same way, it's the same reason why everything goes, right? People look at everything through rose-tinted glasses. It's why, like, in the late, like, like 2007, 2010, there was just a huge push on transformer products because now oh transformer movie now everyone wants to go out and buy these toys again that they had when they were kids even though objectively they are just worse toys than what they then exist today mainly because the quality production is higher today than it was back then right same reason why people still want to play on vanilla wow servers even though if you actually did play wow and vanilla the game was absolutely terrible compared to how it was you know, towards Burning Crusade, towards Wrath of Lich King. Obviously, people are going to debate that to the end, but I'm like, looking on the Vanilla WoW is awful. It, there you go, right? But some people seem I to... will also debate it because the game has never been good. Any day. Sure, but they made substantial quality of life improvements, right? Like, you can just look at it today. Like, do we we all know what Obulet does. It's a white journey to nowhere. But have you nobody's, read... Have you read the actual... Nobody's quality of life improved with WoW expansions, Ad. (laughs) Sure, but if you did play WoW with subsequent WoW expansions, in theory, your quality of life did improve, right? You had to spend less time doing the same stupid thing that WoW is, whatever that is, whatever whatever made you happy in life, right? Like, I think today, if they did reprint Obulet in a 
in like Masters Twenty Five, for example, like it was, it's one, it should be reprinted. Like it's a twenty five dollar common from Arabian Nights. Like if you've actually read the Oracle text on that card, that card is an abomination. Um, right, but apparently people are fixated on reading cards that have like two point five font that have that are just indecipherable. But people like that, and I think that's a lot of appeal of what old school is. You know, there's always some allure to having a nice old beta card or something, but I I can't really put a finger on it other than people are nostalgic, and I think that has a huge effect on the format that looking at numbers, looking at, you know, buy lists or whatever, you can't really quantify. Yeah, what topic I mean, are we on? The existence of nostalgia is the entire reason that 93 94 works as a format yep Since good point travis what topic are we on uh we were talking about unstable but i don't know anymore what's the next one that is a good question what is the next one jeremy uh have we talked about trends of 2018 already nope do we want to touch on that what trends have you seen, Jeremy? So Ed and I discussed this a little bit, but uh, it seems like everyone's dumping their high-end foils, and the, the like foils as a whole are starting to come down. Harder to find cards are starting to come down. There's a lot more dealers that are posting their inventory on Facebook or Twitter, and like Travis having access to sealed boxes of Japanese concept art here two or three years ago is no longer like the same profitable play today so we're starting to see this market narrow as 2018 happens we're also starting to see a lot more people go into crypto which we won't get into necessarily on this cast it's just uh tides are changing prices are dropping and uh people are losing money it does feel like there's in general less things for me to be excited about and i don't know how much i can attribute to other things in my life like maybe that's part of it but i'm just like I'm not, there's, it's rare that I find something I'm like, oh, this is a really good price. I have to buy that. It feels like I'm, I'm leaning much more on, uh, actual speculation because I, it's harder to find things at just a genuinely good price. Yeah. I mean, like you can like wait for like TCG player sales or whatever, but I don't think that there's really like, I don't think sales to get rid of cards, so to speak, is just a thing that happens very often. Or even just, like, the arbitrage. Like, I think people have picked up on that too much, and just those opportunities just don't exist like they used to. Funny that you mentioned that, because we literally said that exact thing on After Hours. Yeah, well, I wasn't there, so... I'm just giving my own two cents. Unless you don't want to hear what I have to say, and then I could just be a pretty face, I guess. No, no, no. I was, I was pointing out that it's interesting that you say that independently of what we said on After Hours. That was our, like, the quite literally the exact thing that we said. And the fact that you that you came to that conclusion independently means that it's not just isolated. It's not just, you know, me saying, oh, I was at a Grand Prix, this happened, and then trying to use that as evidence. So that was more well, of the point I was trying to make. I, I feel like people are more aware of, like, how much cards cost, and even smaller shops are, like, more in tune with making sure that their prices are up to date. And because of the amount of people that are buying cards from overseas, it doesn't take very long for the price correction to to be seen. Like, you know, I heard that there were 
you know, overseas vendors at, I think it was the Santa Clara that were buying uh, on foil, their foil on, on stable basics for like basically more than what they cost on TCG player because they sell them for more overseas. With, with that kind of economy, you're just going to have this, this, it, it, you're not going to have these gaps for so long anymore. Like too many stores, I think are aware of the prices of cards in other parts of the world and it's become profitable for them in, to some degree to buy and sell them there, which means that the local prices have to change. Otherwise, there just won't be any cards there. That's a great point, Jim. So is there anything else that we wanted to touch about on that subject? Any no. other trends that you're noticing? Um, bulk rares. Star City dropped their bulk rare rate to $0.08. Cents. It's now back up to $0.10. Cents. Uh, but a lot more vendors are sticking at eight cents now. Just something to keep in mind. I mean, I have to imagine at some point in time, like bulk lots that you can sell on Amazon or whatever, just like don't really, you can't, you're eventually going to have too much inventory and you can't sell it all, right? Yeah, rest in peace to the Dodd father. It's funny you should mention him. I saw him this weekend. He's alive and well and he's now married. So he's not well. <laughs> oh, that was so awkward. I was just saying, like, are you laughing at his joke because it was bad, or are you laughing at him because he was bad? I think it was the second one. I'm hilarious. I am laughing at... I'm not sure what I'm laughing at. Goal for 2018 Vegas. Travis and I do head-to-head comedy. Jason would be so jealous if we didn't let him in. You know what? You guys could all all together. You'll you'll get out thrown out of there together. I actually did comedy for the IDF while I was in the West Bank. It was great. I can't say any of it on the sponsored cast, but it was great. Ha ha! We killed those Palestinians. Isn't that funny? Ha ha ha! Yep. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then. This guy's got awkward quick. Yeah, well, Jeremy's here. I don't know what you expected. Next topic. Uh, So how do you guys feel about the modern Pro Tour? Modern sucks. I guess guess we should start with, like, the standard bannings, because that was last week news. I guess the modern Pro Tour is, you know, next week news. Okay, fine. We don't have to go in chronological order. We don't even remember what happened in December, remember? Well, I would hope I remember something that hasn't happened yet. Um, anyways, I think, like, I'm not sure how I feel about the bannings. Initially, there was, you know, kind of, we saw a tune with Ether coming. We probably saw Rogue Refiner coming. I don't think we saw the same hit to Remming Up Red. That, I don't think anyone saw that coming at all. Um, but just kind of skimming through through data uh they posted the results of a moto pdq and it seemed like mono red aggressive decks although there was definitely some variation like not every deck was playing daring buccaneer uh a lot of them kind of kept to a more mid-range style going slightly bigger now that you no longer have ramming up uh ruins as a finisher uh mono red decks seem to do very well Energy decks definitely are still a thing. Sultai Energy, uh, we saw that some on stream. The deck is very good. The Scarab God is very good. 
other than that, I'm I feel like standard is the nature of standard makes it so that in probably a month's time, standard will be solved and we'll kind of be back to where we were. Uh, except people are just gonna be complaining about whatever deck is too good, whether it be mono red or some energy variant or what have you. It seems to be a condemnation of standard as a general format rather than anything else. Rather than this specific standard, you seem to be saying all standards will be bad. Can I climb on a soapbox for a second? Yes, no. So someone bought a lot of boxes and they got a lot of Black Friday promos. And they basically got like two free boxes worth of rares and mythics out of like 24 Black Friday promo packs. And like, it really sucks for vendors when you have that much free supply added to the market for essentially nothing when boxes are already like $80 each. If that makes sense. I think... Sorry, were you going to say something, Travis? Nope. I think those are two slightly issues, although there's some overlapping between. I think the standard showdown type packs, Black Friday, buy box giveaways, whatever. I think that is one, it's good for standard. If they're trying to make standard rotate faster, if you want to have more turnover in the format then cards need to be more accessible because that kind of period in 2017 now, no, 2016, 2016, when they announced that standard was going to rotate twice a year, I think they quickly realized that if standard is expensive and uh, standard is going to rotate twice a year, you're basically just preemptively pushing people out of the format because people don't want uh, cards to go down that quick. Now we have the opposite problem. Now, Standard is slow to rotate, and standard is cheap. So now you have you just have quite literally the opposite problem of what happened in 2016. Uh, as for the nature of standard itself, I think they can either choose like how fast they want standard to be, and if we're going to look at January ish as kind of a midway point where they're effectively creating a second rotation in the year without actually rotating sets themselves. It might be enough to make standard a little bit more dynamic, but things will have to be seen. I think if they're at the point where April they have to ban more standard cards, then, like Travis said, that might just be an, a, a fundamental systemic problem with the nature of standard itself, rather than you know, like you can you can blame R and D for so long. Like, yes, Emrakul is a mistake. Yes, Reflector Mage was a mistake. Yes, Smuggler's Copter is a mistake. But like, how long are you going to keep kind of like just kicking that can, the same can down the street before you realize that like standard itself is, I would argue, kind of the bigger issue than these random cards that they're making. I mean, if if the standard format just as it is is the issue, then there are just like. I think that they made changes too quickly, and and really, I'm really disappointed. Like in the fact that if we're gonna have all these problems after they said they were gonna shorten the cycle so that stuff rotated more often, so you didn't have to worry about like oppressive decks for as long, and then now people are like, "Oh, standard's too boring because it doesn't change very much," but then they also got mad because it changed too much. Like I don't know how you get to that middle ground. 
I think modern's in great shape and I'm looking forward to the modern pro tour and it will be the first pro tour I've watched probably since the last pro tour. It's a cool format that feels accessible. Even if you aren't in playing magic every day and every week, whereas standard once I haven't played standard for a set, I come back to it. I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. I know what these, I can read the cards. I understand the rules, but like, I don't understand any of the gameplay or like the meta, the meta decisions and what's important and what's not important. So I'm looking forward to modern, even though getting rid of the pro tour was probably great for the format. It'll still be fun to watch it. So shout out to MTG Packrat who's watching this live stream and says he met Ed at GP New Jersey, which means he can indeed confirm that Ed is over six feet tall. Uh, second off, I am not looking forward to the modern pro tour at all. Um, I think a lot of the pros are going to be playing the same deck because they don't care. It seems like there's a lot of pet decks winning in modern right now. And like, just luckily putting up results and not being consistent. And I think all the pros are going to want to play the same thing, which is like lantern or Grixis. Um, and so the pro tour is going to be pretty boring to watch, like, especially in the top eight, just uh, mirror match after mirror match. The other thing, as I know Travis is going to want to get the last word in here, is I'm really looking forward to what uh, Legacy offers this year. We have one of the bigger Legacy tournaments right before GP Seattle. And yeah, it'll be the same guys, you know, playing the same decks. But um, there's a new, and obviously this is regional dependent, but there's a new uh, thirst for Legacy in my area. And a lot of people are buying in, especially with this last round of standard bannings. We had a lot of people that used to play standard FNM every week just switch to Legacy because they've just been getting beaten down over the last year and they can't take it anymore. So I'm sacrificing more profitability in the long term for a short term profitability. Uh, of people buying legacy decks if that makes sense legacy is uh <clears throat> definitely in an interesting spot right now i'm not sure if it's uh if it's if it's well positioned in terms of giving advice on terms on whether or not people should buy in but <clears throat> there's definitely been some legacy trends uh <clears throat> i think the biggest thing is that the fact that most teams, there's so many teams kind of in the first quarter or so of the year, uh, team GPs, team events. From what just, this is purely anecdotal, talking to a lot of people, a lot of people seem to need a legacy player. There is just, I've definitely gotten a non-zero number of messages. Hey, do you know of anyone who plays legacy? Can you point me in the direction of a legacy player? Do you want to play legacy for us? Etc. And that in itself has definitely caused an uptick in legacy cards that move. But there definitely seems to be kind of dry periods, as it were. Because it, it felt like before Santa Clara, there was definitely an uptick in terms of cards moving. Part of that might be people want, people need money post-Christmas, etc. But it felt like after Santa Clara, it felt like the demand for legacy just shortly fell off mainly because the next constructed uh team gp is not for i don't even have a calendar up here i want to say at least another month or so so i'm not sure if that's actually good for legacy obviously there's a lot more exposure like for example we saw legacy throughout most of the weekend on a star city uh open series in uh dallas but again i'm not really sure if legacy is here to stay more so than it has been in the past years or if this is just a virtue of wizards kind of trying to jam legacy down our throats with all these team events 
Jam, how dare you, Ed? How dare you? They're extending the nicest of hands with manicured fingernails and beckoning reserveless players back to competitive magic. That's pretty much like the worst way I could have said it, but yeah, I'm super happy that Legacy is back. But I would argue that if Legacy does get more exposure and it's here to stay, is that necessarily what's best for Legacy? As counterintuitive as that sounds, because it seems like if you want more people to be addressed in a format, you want to increase exposure to it. But it feels like Legacy... You probably will disagree with me here, but it feels like Legacy is better off in its own little bubble, relatively isolated from what we think as magic in 2018. No, I completely agree with you, Ed. The only thing I'm happy about as an enfranchised player is that there's more opportunities for me to play Legacy on a professional level. So it's funny that you say that. I think that, that another format um, is kind of suffering from the same thing as what you're describing, which is the popper format, where if, if too many people get interested in it and too many people have the opportunity to play it at the highest level, then it warps the format and also causes pri card prices to like explode for the things that people are deemed to be the best. So uh, if you're not familiar, but recently, um, Tolarian Community College asked Channel Fireball, who does all the Grand Prix now, if they would do some popper side events and got a lot of support on Twitter and whatever. And then they had some, um, I think, at the last Grand Prix and the Grand Prix before. And that's great if you didn't, if you already owned a popper deck. Like, if you wanted to buy one now, a lot of the decks are much more expensive than they used to be. And some of the cards that are especially difficult to find are getting more expensive than they used to be, like uh, Ubulet, which is, you know, a weird Arabian Nights common that doesn't do anything anyone ever thinks it does. Um, so there's like this weird give and take where like people are mad because popper decks are more expensive, but they're like happy because there's more popper events, but they're also mad because their cards are more expensive. And that's the kind of thing that legacy will suffer from. If it's too popular, then the cards become unreasonably expensive to purchase. Not that they weren't already in some cases. So it's just a weird, it, it like the more popular something gets, because of card availability issues, it becomes more difficult to become more popular. You also have the issue that Legacy is rarely put under intense scrutiny by a group of professional players. So you assign them a bunch of players to only Legacy for a Pro Tour, and you may not like this, what the format looks like after they're done with it. Yeah, but there's a lot of pros who like made their living in Legacy grinding Star City circuits for a while. And like those are the people you're seeing play at the top level pro teams, except for like Peach Garden Oath and all that. Like Reed Duke knows how to play Storm. I mean, he is after all like the vintage champion as well off of Storm. Um, but it, it's cool to see like which SCG grinders that grinded Legacy specifically on the circuit are now switching over to specifically being that third guy at the GP because they're just that good at Legacy. So it's interesting. Uh, yeah, Jim, you touched on Popper. Like, this is the freest money I think we've seen. Like, we were expecting modern prices to rise in January, but Popper has uh, just taken off, and it's like great for us. But a lot of people are like, "Oh my God, why is this common six dollars?" But I also want to buy in with like my three hundred other friends that want to play Popper. So there's like this balance where, like, on one hand, you really shouldn't be buying out 
like pauper cards uh because like some of them like the buyouts are like not representative of the price but on the other hand the people that say these prices don't make sense need to look at exactly how much some of these cards are getting played like gush for example like gush deserves to spike because it is played in every format where people are going to either foil it out so the foil price is going to go insane or there's just not that many out there for the older formats or cube or pauper turns out free counter spells are good <laughs> yeah well that's days is that gotcha or gush draw that's days gush's draw this is why you should play more legacy travis draw. we're gonna lend you a legacy deck at vegas okay so gush is a free draw spell okay that's also good <laughs> anything else that you guys want to touch on ed uh just to like put in perspective like yeah you probably shouldn't be buying out you know like gush in large quantities like as good as that card is but it's hard to say how many exist out there I mean, like this card is just so old like this card was printed in Mercadian mass like for people who you know we probably have listeners that were born after Mercadian mass was printed as absurd as that sounds this card Wait, was, printed, was mass printed uh 1999 oh i'm close oh yeah Sorry, For sorry, sure. Grandpa. Right, like to put things in perspective, like nine eleven hadn't happened when this card was printed yet, right? And the most recent printing we had was dual deck anthologies because it has a JSEC in it. I think that's the most recent printing we had. Someone has someone help me out here if I'm wrong. No, that, that sounds right. Like now. it's not in any commander decks. It's not in. It's not in supplementary products very often. Right, and like just even like the Jace versus Chandra deck itself, the first reprint of it. Like, that's 10 years old at this point, because I think 2007 or 2008 was when the initial, uh, the original dual decks come out, which they're discontinuing this year, apparently. Uh, but that just goes to show, like, how relatively rare some of these commons are. So I don't necessarily think the popper format, the, the fact that you have commons that are like 6 to $10 now is unreasonable. But I think people should just be a little wary, just buying them in large quantities. Like, hey, you could either set place at gush, like twenty five dollars in the grand scheme of things. That's way better because you know I dollars for Chandra Torture Defiance when I need it for my team or energy deck, for example. But just be kind of wary trying to purchase these cards in large quantities because at some point you'll probably get burned when they re when they do reprint these down the line. Yeah. Good point. And like you have to remember with players predicating paper pauper picks potentially, um, you need to be posted about uh, potential permutations in the printing process and when they're going to be reprinted. I'm so mad at you right now. I'm so mad at you. I'm not sure if alliteration Jeremy is better or worse than pun Jeremy. I think alliteration, Jeremy, is worse. Probably pick so. Of the, pick of the week, pals. Uh, no, before that, we have our question. The, our our winner. If uh, Jim wants to read this, because it's a long one. Nope, I started the cast. You get my job now. All right. Uh, let me pull up. So our winner this week of the credit message, Jeremy or Jim or. Whoever, whoever you people message uh, for the winners goes to uh, Grant uh, Kleppinger uh, on Gathering Magic. Uh, I'll summarize this at the end mainly because it's kind of a long question. 
it is on a lot of MTG Finance podcasts, I hear the phrase, quote, there are only X copies left on TCG player, end quote, in reference to the supply of a card. However, in my experience, I often find cards mentioned this way for a much cheaper price and in high supply on big name MTG retail sites. Could this represent a good opportunity or should one be skeptical of TCG supply, especially on new cards? I understand the most likely answer to this question is, quote, it depends, end quote. However, do you have any other tips or tricks on how to most accurately evaluate this? Your first, Ed. Well, so to start things off, to summarize that, how much weight can we put on the data points? There are x number of copies of a card left on tcg player like what is the significance of that um and i will start this off like i always do on everything uh the long and short of this is because i actually deal with a large store and i actually get to see the behind the scenes on crystal commerce listing cards on tcg player etc what you see on tcg player unless it is something like a masterpiece it's unlikely that you'll actually have an accurate representation of the quantity of a card. Like if I just look at, I happen to have this pulled up because I was pricing cards, like Masterpiece Ornithopter, for example. There are 16 sellers uh, on TCG Player, and uh, there are two of them that have uh, four copies of it listed. I would be relatively skeptical that these two sellers that have four copies listed, that these are the only four copies they have. Uh, with Rivals of Ixalan, for example, uh, you can only see, I think it was 16 copies of a rare mythic online through our store at any one time. But we had more than 16 copies of most of these rares or mythics in stock. Um, and one... We uh, we have that filter through TCG Player through Crystal Commerce that we can set. So there there are people who are going to try and buy you know more copies. Like I don't I don't want necessarily someone to go through and buy all you know forty copies or something at once. And two that prevents overselling on Crystal Commerce because uh, if you haven't heard me say this in the past, whenever you're buying cards on TCG Player, there's actually a lag time between when the, the it goes through from TCG Player and it's taken out of our Crystal Commerce inventory. So in theory, if I put 40 copies of a card online and you know Travis went through and decided to buy 40 copies, in theory, there could be a point when Jeremy could come in and see, oh, he has 40 copies for, for sale. I want 20 copies. And in theory, at the same time... Jim might see that there's 20 copies left. I'm going to buy 20 more copies. So I would have oversold 40 copies simply because TC player wasn't able to sync it up with Crystal Commerce and see that, oh, we have no more copies in stock. This item is no longer available through uh, TCG player. And this is further compounded when we have the same cards synced through both Amazon and eBay. So with multiple platforms and only, you know, like a few copies of a card... By by kind of bottlenecking it like that, it makes it less likely we are to oversell on a one thing. So giving a ton of weight, saying like, "Oh, I only see this many copies on TCG Player left," that might not necessarily be the case. Simply because most of these stores have probably caught on that they can only list so many copies of a particular card on their inventory at once without having to list every single copy. 
given that our listener is probably referring to the other thing that I appear on, the other cast I appear on, uh, when he talks about finance podcasts, I'll chime in on this. Um, you're absolutely correct that you're going to find additional quantity in other stores, um, whether it's huge ones like Star City or Channel Fireball and smaller ones like Channel Fireball or, or not Channel Fireball, Face to Face or Troll and Told or Adventures on Ideal 808, uh, you know, any of the millions of other online vendors. We use TCG Player sort of as a gauge. Um, if there are 75 copies of a card on TCG, I know that the, the market's deep because if there's 75 here, it means there's definitely a lot more elsewhere. If there's four copies on TCG, I know that the, it's there's a, a scant few copies out there. And that doesn't mean there's only four copies on the market. Star City's probably got a handful. Channel Fireball's probably got a couple, especially if they're charging 20% more than TCG low. You know, they'll probably still have some because people, they haven't bought their way up the chain yet. Sometimes you'll even see three copies of a card at like two bucks on TCG player. And like, that's it, right? Like they're basically all gone, but there's a couple left for a few dollars. And then you'll find 20 over on Star City. Now Star City's asking for like two times that price, which is why they have so many in stock. So it's useful for as just sort of a, a rough gauge for the market. The other thing, like Ed brought up, is you have to also consider what you're looking at. Um, so sometimes you're going to see like the ornithopters where you see several vendors with only four copies, but you're like, this is the type of card that I wouldn't list everything that I own. Uh, and I'm expecting these other vendors not to as well. So even though, you know, if I see nine vendors, which isn't that many, but they've all got four copies and it's kind of a higher value chase card, like a masterpiece, I know that there's quite, there's probably a lot hiding out there. They're also probably in glass cases at GPs, right? Um, whereas if you're talking about stuff like Marrow Commerce, uh, which was a card that spiked because of the Merfolk Commander deck, vendors aren't bringing that type of stuff to a show, right? They're not putting their glass case at GP Santa Clara or whatever. Most of that stuff's probably, if they have it, is sitting in the Lorwyn Uncommon box back at the store and they may or may not have copies. And once, so once TCG player gets bought out, you know that like that means that there's probably not that many copies out in the world. Well, let me rephrase that. It's unlikely that anyone is like sitting on, you're not seeing copies sitting in glass cases at GPs. You have to like, people have to go find them. Now, in the case of an uncommon from Shadowmoor that went from a nickel to $4, like they're going to come out of the woodwork because I was going to go back and dig through all of his old Shadowmoor bulk to find them. But it just kind of, you kind of have to compare what type of card you're looking at and like what the demand profile for that card is and how sellers are likely to treat it versus the inventory online and kind of like make, um, informed guesses as to what the actual uh, true market and availability for that card looks like outside of TCG. But in the short, it is a good gauge, but it is not a, uh, a golden rule. I agree with pretty much everything Travis said. Uh, the other thing is like a lot of shops won't sell on TCG until a card spikes and then they'll pull it out of their box and put it online. Like, I know a lot of shops that do that, so just keep that in mind. It's all about that second spike, though, when uh, copies have moved from, like, boxes to shops, and then they're either in, like, players' decks or, like, a couple vendors is when the prices go, like, absolutely crazy. Um, especially with, like, stuff like, uh, let's say, from the Vault Memory Jar, like, the first 2,000 copies, like, you're only going to clear out a couple, and then it takes, like, another couple thousand copies to actually corner the market on that stuff 
So it takes time and patience or just you have to be paying a stupid amount sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have a ton of, of anything else to add to this. Uh, I think that uh, Travis pretty much summarized what I was going to say anyway. Um, so I guess uh, thank you for the question and send me a message either on the Cartel Aristocrats Facebook page, on the Twitter account, or the email address. And where can they leave a question for next week? Every week that we do the podcast. I should preface that with when we do the podcast since we haven't done it in a while. Uh, you can leave a question at gatheringmagic.com on the article that goes up the day after we cast. And then if you're lucky enough to get chosen, you will win a $25 gift certificate to coolstuffinc.com. And now it's time for the most powerful, profitable picks presented by popular... Uh, I can't finish this. This is too bad. Stop. Let's go into pick of the week. And first up, as always, it's Ed. I'm actually ready with this. Um, I like Paradox Engine. It's one of those where Aether Revolt isn't really open because the EV on the set is so bad. But it seems like it, for whatever reason, continues to dodge the Banhammer ban and EDH. And it's it's uh, kind of in the same vein as something like the Chain Veil... Probably down the line, the Mortal Sun will be in the same category where the decks that can really abuse it, like whether it be Super Friends or obviously decks that can basically win the game on the spot with Paradox Engine. If it doesn't see, if it doesn't get banned at some point, then I think this is Paradox Engine is the type of tactic where it's so unique. And in theory, I imagine the demand for it would be reasonably high because it's so powerful that this is the type of card that will just slowly continue to creep up as copies start to disappear, but there's not more copies being put back on a market again because people are just well past the point where they would ever open an Aether Revolt pack. So uh, my pick this week is, a, is definitely a very speculative one, but... It's the one, it's a kind of card that can like go way out of control and right now has a pretty low buy in and honestly might just be worth fine to keep a long time anyway. So, uh, Jim Davis played a blue white like auras deck, I guess is what I'll call it, but it kind of looks like a heroic deck that um, saw a lot of play during the Thorough Standard and uh, plays four of SRAM Senior Edificer. And that guy's like a quarter on TCG player. And is a pretty busted EDH general, so like over time it might just be worth something anyway. But it's there's not a lot of rares in this deck, and most of them are already pretty expensive. So that's the kind of card that like makes the, the deck tick, so to speak. There's no there's no promo of it or anything like that. And with all the weird enchantments that you're playing, all the auras, um, can get out of hand pretty quickly. And if you do, that's like going to be the first card that people buy out because the other rares on the deck are lands and uh, legions landing and a Dorn pouncer. There's only like actually three rares in the whole deck, which means it's good if you're on a budget. Uh, it's definitely a very budget friendly deck. I will say that. So my pick of this week is SRAM. Uh, I think he's great. I think that he'll eventually go up over time, even with just EDH demand, but if he gets to be really good in standard, which he looks like in the stack, uh, it could get very expensive very quickly. 
Am I supposed to go now? That's a you. Mm, I have been pretty cool on picks for the last two months. Didn't really come up with anything for today either. Uh, foil. The four mono. I was just looking at the stupid card. Uh, return the dust. There's there's like eight printings of return the dust, but there's still only one foil. Uh, there's only one copy on TCG player. Uh, if you could find copies of this or in around like 10 to 13, those are probably really good. Uh, cause the only one left right now is at 19. So, but the market price is showing 12. So if you can catch those around 12, that's probably pretty good. Cause this should be like a $25 card foil at least. Cause I'm pretty sure this has got to be like a top 10 white card in EDH. Um, hammer perforos foils are actually starting to get pretty low as well. I just noticed that I'm seeing, uh, looks like 18 vendors for hammer perforos foils. And most of them don't have more than one or two copies. The card's actually reasonably popular too. Yeah. By the way, uh, return the dust is in 23,000 decks. So if you can find those, those are good. How many is hammer perforos? No, I don't want to look at your stupid yo cards. Hammer Perforos is also in 7,500 decks. Card's pretty popular and better than people think it is in EDH. Just everything that gives all your stuff in haste is pretty cool. And it looks, it works really well with that new uh, Atali Commander, which showed up on EDH Truck this week. So oh, either of those. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, either because that card, yeah. So either of those and foil is probably pretty solid if you can catch um, reasonable prices on those, like at local stores or in trade binders. Like, I want to tell you guys to pick a modern card because we have the modern Pro Tour coming up. But I'm not exactly sure where to go with that at the moment. Like, I haven't seen any articles out of any players yet that made me go, oh, this is a deck on the fringe that, like, could pop if it shows up at the Pro Tour. I don't know where, what, what to do with that format yet. Collective Brutality. That's not my pick, but I think like it'll $18. go well. <laughs> what? $18. It's like seven, right? No, I don't think so. Unless that card is, I'm looking right now, but that was not that cheap before. It's like nine to ten. Yeah, I think it goes to fifteen during modern season. It is the cheapest copy right now is uh fourteen fifteen on TCG player. You looking at foils? Nope. All right. Eleven well, fifteen with three dollar shipping. There goes my pick. When it was seven dollars, <laughs> I liked it. Yeah. But like it's at that point where if it's like it's it's not quite cheap enough to buy, but it hasn't moved enough to have been have made you a profit since you last recommended it at seven dollars. It's like that middle ground. All right, I got a good pick this week because I'm tired of Reddit saying I only pick two dollar cards that go up to three dollars, and then you have to buy a thousand of them to make money. Um, looking at Popper, uh, Needle Drop is a card that sees a ton of play, and I think foils are like five to six dollars right now. Um, I think this is an easy double up because people are just starting to buy out stupid stuff. So I'm not saying to go out and buy them, but if you have them, just list them above whatever TCG has them at and just wait for some sucker to buy it. Say uh, f it's a common from Lorwyn and it deals a damage and you draw a card, I believe. So this is like a five, $6 card. Just list yours if you have them higher and wait for some idiot to buy them out. So that's my plan. I don't know if that's a good plan. I mean, people are just, this is the new tiny leaders, except like some of the prices will stick, but I don't think foil needle drop will stick at that high. So because it just sees play, just like list it and wait for free money. 
You know, you could do instead just pick all the chromatic spheres out of your bulk box because those are actually worth money. Yeah, that's another good one. And then the other pick is uh, Gideon Ally of Zendikar. It's like seven bucks or whatever, maybe six. Just hold these for a year and wait for it to hit ten bucks. Card's good. There's a lot of them out there, but the card's good. So those would be my picks of the week. All right, sounds good. So uh, let's wrap up the cast. Where can everyone find you? Uh, I'm I'm at, at Edwin13 on Twitter. I will be at GP London this weekend. I will not be seeing Jeremy, as unfortunate as that is. Boo! Um, yep, so you guys, I will be on site probably Friday. I love London, so I might go sightseeing on Saturday, go to British Museum for the millionth time. But if you guys are on site, feel free to say hi. After that, I believe I will be in St. Louis. I think I have a Pokemon Regionals, so I might be yeah, seeing Jeremy anyways. Yeah, no, I'm not driving in for that. That no. That is... Uh, I am not a fan of St. Louis Pokemon players. No, okay. Well, good it's to- in Collinsville too, right? Yeah, it's in Illinois. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh that's a negatory there, buddy. All right. Well, we I will be at some other events beyond that. So who knows? Well, I'm sure you guys will find out later time. All right, my name is Jim Casal. You can find me on Twitter at PHRST underscore. Uh you can find my articles every other week on Gathering Magic, and you can find me on this lovely podcast. And if you're in Orlando, I guess maybe you can find me there too. Oh, pardon me. I am Travis Allen. I am on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Mondays for MTG Price. You will also find me on the MTG Fast Finance podcast. Thanks for listening, watching, brailing the translation. I'm Jeremy. I did another transatlantic thing, so now I know how Ed feels every week, and it is miserable. Uh, I'll be at GP Houston this weekend without Ed, sadly. Uh, we didn't, didn't work out. Uh, you can find me in the great state of Missouri off of highway farty far and, uh, feel free to follow me on Twitter at Missouri MTG, as well as cartel aristocrats at cartel underscore finance on Twitter or Facebook or on iTunes or SoundCloud or gathering magic. We appreciate your support wherever it comes from. Usually, like, end with, like, some pun that we roll our eyes at, so I wasn't sure if you were done. I got nothing, man. I'm so tired. Yeah, me too. I've been in the car a lot, really. Yeah. I'm just, I'm a mess, so. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, hopefully, it'll be more lively and more in tune next week. Uh, so, see you then. <laughs>